The Riverinas All Day Breakfast. Great to be catching up with this man. He's got a uh, brand new live album out and he is an absolute legend of Australian music. Lee Kernigan, hello. G'day, Lee. How you doing, mate? Yeah, going very well, mate. Uh, look, let's yeah. very quickly run through your resume for people who aren't familiar. Uh, four Arias, 38 Golden Guitars, Order of Australia Medal, Australian of the Year for 2008. It's, uh, it's not a bad little uh, thing to put on the bottom of the CV. I've been busy, haven't I? <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's been it's been a pretty epic ride um, since you know. Sort of like as you know, I grew up in the River Arena, and yeah. um, that all kicked off. You know, down that way. That's my stomping ground, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been really blessed, mate, over the last you know thirty years of touring around Australia and you know putting out music. Obviously, musical family. Your dad speaks for himself, and uh, Tanya's also pretty ta- bloody talented as well. Did you always know it was something you wanted to do? Look, I knew I always wanted to do it for fun. I loved it, you know, like well, we had bands um, since I was about uh, 11, 12 years old and it was just music was definitely in the blood but I never expected in a million years I'd one day make, you know, a, a career out of it. And you played in some of those bands, you're telling me off air, a bit around the Riverina. What are some of the venues that you remember playing at and what are some of those milestone moments that you remember around uh, from around our neck of the woods? Well, I don't know if people uh, remember seeing me in the, I guess, I guess, you know, through the late 80s and the early 90s. I would tow a horse float with all of my gear, all of my band equipment yeah. in the back, and the, the the damn horse float used to leak like a sieve. So I was often dealing with wet equipment inside it, but it was back in the days when you load it all in yourself and you set up the light show and you set up the PA and you play for four hours. And um, the Wagga Leagues Club was, you know, a fairly regular show for me back in the day before the Outback Club came along. And that obviously just went into the stratosphere and launched you. I mean, it was such... And 30 years this year since the Outback Club. And a lot of uh, local connection with that, with the songs that you wrote for it. Oh, definitely, mate. There's a song on the following album on Three Chain Road, which was um, Colin Gully Station. Yeah. And I remember standing on the what was the old platform at Colin Gully and just rem- my record producer, Garth Porter, and I stood there and we kind of absorbed the situation and the feeling in the air there, you know, and and the history of the place. And that became the song on the Three Chain Road album. And the photo shoot that I did with um, the Outback Club was shot at my Uncle Kevin's droving camp just outside the rock on a reserve. <laughs> so we shot it there. But all the, a lot of the songs, even Boys from the Bush, you know, came from my experiences sort of as a young bloke growing up uh, in the Riverina. And 30 years this year of Outback Club and a massive tribute to that at Tamworth this year. What's it feel like all these years later to know the impact that that album has had on the Australian music scene? Oh, it's really, it's very gratifying and it's a real honour, mate. It's um, privileged to have been able to have, you know, made the album in the first place because I thought, you know, after three failed record deals <laughs> and just struggling to pay the monthly payments on, I think I was driving a, a Commodore back at the time, an old VN Commodore. I was really scratching <laughs> to make a living. I was even playing in a piano bar at, at called the Bullring Bistro in Aubrey, and that was pretty well my regular gig and um, never could have imagined what was about to happen with the release of that album in 1992. And what do you think it was about the album that captured the imagination so much? Well, I think what we were doing was writing songs about 
the generation, this a younger generation of kids running around in utes and growing up on farms and going to BNS balls. And the music, it just sort of was like lighting the wick. <laughs> and it just exploded across across the country and connected with, I guess, a younger generation that were just starting to get into country music for the first time. Who were some of your mentors in the day who gave you that step up and who gave you that piece of advice and the pat on the back? Well, it was Garth Porter who wrote How's That? You know, that great, yeah. iconic Australian song called How's That? And, and he also uh, wrote Summer Love and all of the, the big hits for Good Sherbet, yeah. uh, and he played keyboards in the band. And so his career as a, as a pop star had sort of come to a close, and he was concentrating on producing music, and he, he was very much drawn to country music because he grew up on a dairy farm in New Zealand. And uh, one of the first artists that he recorded was James Blundell, yeah. and he made the Way Out West album, and things were really taking off for James. And, and around about that time, Garth said, look, let's get together Lee and see if we can do a bit of songwriting and the first song we wrote was Boys from the Bush and that went on to become the Outback Club album. Wow and why do you think that mentoring is so important because I know that you do a fair bit of it as well I've um, spoken with uh, the boys from Wolf Brothers a couple of times and they always mention the work that you've put in with them. I think it's a bit of a tradition in country music. Slim Dusty was a great mentor and, you know, he took not only myself under his wing when we recorded Leave Him In The Long Yard, but he also toured with Keith Urban and Professor Daly and provided a real source of inspiration for all of us, I think. And as my career sort of developed, along come some sort of younger artists and new artists on the scene like the McClymonts and, and the Wolf Brothers and... I asked them to come out on the road and tour Australia with me, and uh, they learned a few things along the way. In fact, they learned probably too much. <laughs> Gone past me now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rude, isn't it? I mean, when they. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, talking about life on the road, live at Denny Ute Master, the new album is out and about. You played at their 21st anniversary, but how many times do you reckon you've played at Denny? Well, I played at the very first one, Lee, yeah. which was. Yeah, so what would the year of that have been? Would that have been about 97 or 98? Yeah, early on, yeah. First one. And it was massive, and it just got bigger and bigger. And look, the whole community, you know, the Daniloquin community, all the volunteers that, you know, they had this vision for what they could do out there, and it's become one of the most iconic events, not just music events, iconic events in Australia. And to have stepped out on the stage for the 21st anniversary, 20,000 Ute Muster fans there, and we rolled tape and we made a live album, and it's great to have captured that, that memory um, on record. All these years later, what is it that you love about getting up on stage? I think it's just the pure connection between myself and the, uh, you can't say fans. I just don't think that they, the fans are music, but they feel like family, you know, yeah. my, my, my greater family. And to connect and to get together around some fun songs to sing and sometimes the fun, sometimes, you know, moving tracks like the Spirit of the Anzacs and or missing slim or flying with the king and it's just a moment that we have together and i treasure it and i'm really am so grateful for it and i do like that there's a track on this dialogue lee does a shoey on your uh, on your uh, latest album which seems about as australian as you can get doing a shoey <laughs> on stage at the denny ute master yeah well when the chant goes up shoey 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 you know you can't say no to twenty thousand ute loving fans you know can you do you have a spare boot for it though because i know how sweaty you get up on stage 
<laughs> no, no, uh, but I, let me tell you this. The very first time I did a shoey was several, many, many years ago, and I did not know what a shoey was, but I was at Daniloquin in the car park filming a video clip, and they all started chanting, shoey, 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 what's this? And some bloke passed me up his boot, and it was the sweatiest, dirtiest old boot you've ever seen. Yeah. We poured a bit of fireball in, and uh, I did the shoey. Um, but then I lost my voice for about two weeks. <laughs> so now when I do a shoey, I do it straight out of my boot and the RM Williams boots, they're in pretty good nick <laughs> and I haven't had any problems so far. <laughs> From one end of the body to the other, the boots to the hats, you're known for your hats. Uh, you recently lost one of your hats I saw on a flight, but you've been reunited with it. Talk to us about the hats because you're you're known for them. They're iconic. They're a part of you. They're on all of your albums. Uh, which is your favourite? And tell us the story about it. Well, the hat that I wear today is an Akubra Outback Club hat. It started off as an arena, and I bought the hat in Dean Street, Aubrey, at Hiscock Saddlery, and I wore the hat on the Outback Club album because I wanted. I wanted everybody to know that I was country and I was proud to be country. That's why I wore the hat. And then um, a couple of years later, I was going through Kempsey and I met Steve Keir and the family who run Akubra Hats. And they got together with me and they said, let us design a hat for you. And so we built a new hat based on the arena and we added in a different block. And we also added in some uh, eyelets to a little bit more airflow when you're on stage and cranking it out. And that's still what you wear to this day? That's the hat I wear. <laughs> Fantastic. Proudly. Fantastic. Yeah. Mate, it's so good to see that so much success has come your way from the humble beginnings, I guess, in, in and around the Riverina. What are some of your favourite uh, favorite gig memories of your time down here? And what are some of your favourite gigs that you've done since leaving here? Well, I can tell you one of the gigs I'll never forget was the Carrier's Arms Hotel, and that was early 90s. I was advertised in the Border Morning Mail, uh, Lee Kernigan, Saturday night, Carrier's Arms, kicking off at 7.30. But when I started to play, there was nobody there. And come, you know, 9 o'clock, still no one. Come 10 o'clock, there was still nobody <laughs> turned up. So I ended up having to, yeah, load the gear out back into that little horse boat I was telling you about, and I headed home. So I'll never forget the Carrier's Arms and the, the night that nobody came out to the show. <sighs> And what about those moments where you're like, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I've, I've arrived as a muso. I'm, I'm part of the scene now. When's that moment that you realise that this is what, that you've made it, I guess? I don't think I've ever had a, a now I've made it moment. I don't think that ever really happens because you're always trying to do a little bit better than what you did on the last record, you know, or the last show. So it never really stopped to really smell any roses. But now it's 30 years later and I'm looking back. <laughs> yeah. But I think probably the big moment would have been winning those first three golden guitars in Tamworth for Song of the Year, Album of the Year and uh, Male Vocalist of the Year. And then a, a few months later, winning the Aria for the Outback Club. Yeah. It all happened in pretty quick succession. And although I hadn't really made it back then, it certainly gave me the launch pad to keep going on with it. From an artist's point of view, how important is Tamworth to the country music scene, that incredible festival? Yeah, well, it's been the birthplace of so many incredible careers. You know, I think about Casey Chambers coming in there and busking in the main street. I remember walking 
but it would have been early 90s, just walking through town, and I went into one of the little arcades, and Keith Urban was there with his girlfriend at the time, Angie Marcus, and they had a little duet, and there he was, you know, yeah. <laughs> paying his dues, learning the ropes, and then he went on to become like an international superstar. You know, same for Troy Casadaly, you know, he cut his teeth in the pubs and clubs around Tamworth and even busking. So uh, when you add in the like the Toyota Star Maker and the amount of careers that were launched through that pretty epic program, 40 years uh, they celebrated this year of Star Maker. So they've done an enormous amount for to bring great new artists to the world of Australian country. And you talked about a moment ago about not sort of looking back. Looking forward, what's next for you? What have you got on the horizon? Well, last night, it's been a bit of a dry spell for me uh, in terms of songwriting, but last night I woke up about 3 a.m. in the morning and I had a song in my head. And so I just sort of, you know, put down the rough bit of it and on my voice memos on my phone and then tried to, you know, go back to sleep. And then another song came along. And then another and another. And I tell you, there was nine songs that, or the beginnings of nine songs all seemed to just arrive uh, in the middle of the night last night. So I look forward to bringing out a new career album, like an original album in 2023 and resuming normal touring again. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. And what's it like songwriting for you? Is that what how you usually go about it? Like you just have a moment of inspiration or you spoke about standing on Colin Gully Station and just soaking it in? Or is it, Does it come to you or is it a struggle to get them out? You know, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. And I think sometimes the more you try, the harder it gets. But I was signing a bloke's um, ute at Shepparton at a show a few years back and I was just signing the tailgate and I asked him what he did for a living. He said, Lee, I milk cows. Bang. I just knew straight away I had to write a song called I Milk Cows and that became one of the big hits off Planet Country. So that's how it happens, mate. It can just happen in an instance with a turn of phrase or just a conversation with somebody that you met out on the road. Outstanding. Well, we hope it keeps happening because you've put out some amazing music over the journey and we're looking forward to hearing what comes next. Now, Live at the Denny Ute Master is out and about now as well as that. You've got you've just got such a litany of records. Um, you had your, uh, your 30th anniversary as well album out and about earlier this year. It has been a big year for you and long may it continue. Lee Kernigan, thank you so much for your time today and look forward to uh, seeing the next stage. Good on you, Lee. Thanks, mate. The Riverinas All Day Breakfast. Catch Lee weekdays from 6, live on The Riverinas, 1152 Triple M.